Y'all, our next guest, Wahida Clark, is the godmother of the genre of street literature. Her story is probably one of the top ones that I have ever heard that have been so stinking epic. She went from spending over a decade or a little over a decade in federal prison to becoming a four-time New York Times bestselling author. What? Yeah, her journey is incredibly epic to say the least and she is a natural born storyteller because let me tell you she had me on the edge of my seats and there were some plot twists that I was like wait what this is your life this happened to you this is not a movie <laughs> so sit back listen and learn because Wahida is here to drop some knowledge on top of some crazy storytelling Hey Slay Nation, welcome back to another episode of the So She Slays podcast. I'm your host, Heather, and I'm here with Wahida Clark. She is the official urban literature, street literature godmother at a four times New York Times bestselling author. Oh my geez, I hope at four times you are the godmother, geez. <laughs> yes, the, the official queen of street literature. Street literature is what they call me. Yes, ma'am. Oh, my goodness. Now, I know a lot of people don't really know a little bit about you, but also a little bit about this genre of writing. So can you kind of fill us in? Sure. It's called street literature. Uh, it's called At one time, it was called urban fiction. Um, the godfathers of the, 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 the OGs of the genre, uh, Iceberg Slim, uh, Donald Goins. But you know that's just two or three of them, and then just just this new wave of us authors, we just grabbed onto the genre and just took it to a whole nother level. So much so that all the major publishing houses was clamoring to sign us street lit authors to get our stories. So, what kind of stories involve street lit? And you know, maybe you can tell us just a quick synopsis about some of your best selling books. Absolutely, uh, I have four series. And one is the Thug series, Thugs and the Women Who Love Them. Every thug needs a lady, thug matrimony, honor, honor thy thug. So those stories, for example, the, uh, one of the young ladies, she was engaged to a pimp, engaged to marry a pimp. But she wasn't a prostitute, but that was his profession and his profession. And she understood that and they just had a relationship. Um, young love, uh, sex, drugs, prison, murder the hood where we where I come from now I want to go ahead and kind of preface all of this success with this epic journey that I read about you and it went from correct me if I'm wrong is it a decade or over a decade in prison yes ma'am coming out turning your life around like let's fast forward I don't even know how many years we're about to find out um, fast forward, and then you're a four times New York Times bestselling author. So that is quite a life. Where do we start? <laughs> well, well, you know what, Heather, I think the easiest place for me to start is um, I was living in Jersey. My husband was incarcerated. I have two daughters. He was incarcerated at the time, and he was in federal prison. At the time, in the federal system, they was moving him all over the country. So I was flying from Leavenworth to Memphis to New Jersey, flying all over the Sims. Then they finally transferred him to Georgia. So he said, Georgia is up and coming, Wahida. 
you might want to pack up and move down here. So I said, sure. I was tired of Jersey at the time. And, you know, I needed to be closer to him to take the kids to see him and for me to visit him. So I got to Georgia and I was looking for a evening job so I can go visit him during the day. So I lucked up and got a telemarketing sales job. So I started at one place, did good, went to another place and did my third job. I landed, I really enjoyed it. And I ended up being the top salesperson at this advertising firm. But lo and behold, the company was on the radar of the authorities. So after about a year or so of me working there, one day I'm in there talking to a client on the phone and I hear all this noise in the front of the office. I said, oh my gosh, they're fighting. They're fighting. This is just, this is just, un, this is just, uh, just ridiculous. And it wasn't a fight. It was the authorities kicking the doors down, knocking the doors down, coming in to raid the office. And my door was shut. So my office door flies open and they with the gun screaming, get on the floor, get on the floor. And they kept saying, you got the girl, you got the girl. And I'm like, what girl, who's the girl? And that girl was me because I was the top salesperson in the company. Oh my goodness. Yes. So needless to say, they took us down in handcuffs and we end up, uh, the top people in the company, we end up taking the case to trial because as far as I was concerned, I was just an employee. Now, you're doing your job. job. I was just doing my job. So I said, we took it to trial. My husband said, yes, yeah, nothing going to happen to you. You, you, you. you was just doing your job. The jury found all of us guilty. And that was my sentence, 10 and a half years in federal prison. So now, mind you, my husband, he was already locked up. My two teenage daughters, they were on the outside. So I'm in prison. I'm racking my brain. Then after I get sentenced, they transferred me to Lexington, Kentucky. And I call home one day after I'm finally getting situated and wrapping my head around 10 and a half years, I call home and said, send me some money. So my niece answered the phone. She said, money, you're gone. Your businesses, no one is out here running your businesses. Your house is being foreclosed on. They've already come and repossessed the cars. Actually, we are packing your kids up and we are going back to New Jersey. And I'm like, Oh my gosh. And she reiterated, you have no money, Wahida. So I hung up the phone, devastated, went up to my room, closed the door, and I cried. After I cried, I made a prayer because I needed assistance. I needed money to live in the, in the I was in a federal prison camp. It costs money to wash your clothes. It costs money to buy your soap powder. It costs money to buy everything. Everything in a federal prison costs money. So I said, I got to make some money. Then my two teenage daughters is out there. And then I always think about when I come home, having a nest egg for when I came home. So I, I made that prayer. I was like, oh my gosh. And my job at the time, everyone in prison has to work, it's mandatory. I had two jobs. I was a computer teacher in the evening and I was a librarian during the day. So at eight o'clock in the morning, I'm in a library all by myself most of the time. And this one morning, shortly after I made that prayer, I pick up a magazine, it was either a Vibe or XXL. And there was a sidebar in there of this guy named Shannon Holmes. I said he was in prison and he had written a book called Be More Careful. And I'm like, wow, he's in, the, he's in this magazine, he's in prison, he wrote a book. That is hood celebrity status. And I was just like, wow. Then I'm sitting there and I'm looking at all the books on the bookshelf, because mind you, I'm sitting at my desk in the library. So then I start visualizing my name on the spines of all the books, Wahida Clark, Wahida Clark. And I said, you know what? I'm gonna write me a book. That's gonna be my ticket 
to get out of prison and to maintain for me and my family while I'm in prison. And that began my journey to writing a book. Oh my goodness. Okay, so you want to talk about manifestation, prayer, all of that stuff just coming to a head at one of the lowest moments of your life, probably. Oh my yes, goodness. Ma'am. Um, have you ever like had an interest in writing at all ever before? Never, ever. I didn't know I could write. I wasn't planning on writing. I just knew when I saw that article in there and I said, I, I was in prison. So what else am I going to do? And he's in prison. He wrote a book and getting paid. I said, I'm going to write a book and get paid too. So what was that first process like for you? Let me tell you, talking about manifestation, shortly after I had that epiphany to write a book. A young, uh, a older lady who's in the prison on the streets, her profession was a literary agent. Now I didn't know her, but it just so happened she had went to the camp administrator, also known as the warden, and asked could she give a creative writing class. And she was granted it. And then the sign-up sheet was hung up on the wall. So I looked and I saw, ooh, a creative writing class. Remember, I said, I got, I'm going to write this book because I didn't know how to write. I was the first one to sign up for her creative writing class. And I took her little course. I got a prison certificate that I took the course, but all while I'm going through her little course, I'm writing. And I'm you know, asking her what she think and having her read this stuff. And she said, you actually, you really have a knack for this. I haven't seen nothing like this. So I write my first book. Well, let me go back some. Um, after I wrote my first book, I had sent it home so that it could get typed up because uh, the computer, the, um, the, sorry, the creative writing teacher said, you have to um, use the literary marketplace, send out query letters and blah, blah, blah. So I did that. And one night I'm reading this book. It's like two or three o'clock in the morning. I finished it, Married Men by Carl Weber. Closed the book, I said, oh my gosh, this book is so good. So I wrote him and I said, um, Mr. Weber, I'm in prison. I wrote a book and I'm just looking at, uh, self-publishing companies or, you know, I don't know what I'm gonna do, how I'm gonna get this published, but I need to get it published. So I melted the letter off, forgot all about it. Next thing you know, I got a letter back and he said for me to send me the manuscript. So I was like, wow, so I'm really scrambling now because the prison copy machine was always broken. And uh, the teacher said, you can't send out your only copy because if you get lost, you're, you're out of luck. So I managed to get everything home. They typed it up and send it to them. That's how I got my first deal right while I was in the prison. And then shortly after that, after my books get published, when my first book gets published, I get a knock on my cell door. They say, get dressed, it's like 6.30 in the morning, get dressed and go to the lieutenant's office. So I'm at lieutenant's office. So I go over there to lieutenant's office and they're sitting there holding my book up. And they're asking me, how did you get this done? So I said, what do you mean, how did I get this done? How did you get this book published? I said, you guys gave a creative writing course and I signed up for it. I took it, did everything it said to do, got my certificate, and that's how I got published. They threw me in a hole for writing a book while in prison. What? Okay, you want to talk? You are a storyteller because I did not see that one coming. <laughs> I was like, that was a plot twist. What? Okay, yes, so they threw you in the hole for writing for nine months a book and getting oh, published. Oh my! For nine months for doing something productive. Right um, now, in the in the in the Bureau of Prison Policy Manual, 
in one part of the manual says that and they can write a book and get published. But if you go to another part of the manual it says that we can write a book, but we can't get it published and make money off of it. So they didn't know what to do with me. So that's why I sat in the hole for nine months. So when the investigator came to tell me what my fate was, that they were still investigating, I said, what? He said, just write another book. So while I was in the hole, that's what I ended up doing. I wrote another book. I started my other book series. And then instead of their punishment to me was not to allow me to come back. I can never go back to the federal prison camp in Lexington, Kentucky. And they transferred me to Alderson, West Virginia. And that's where I met Martha Stewart. All right, you're not gonna just leave it there. Just <laughs> keep going. You met Martha Stewart, please. What? Yes. Um, so I'm in Alderson, West Virginia, and my uh, agent at the time, I think he was dating her niece. Well, anyway, he had he had left a message for for me through my family that Martha was coming through there, and when she comes through, make sure I introduce myself and look out for. Her. So when she came through. That's what I did. You know, we wasn't buddies or hanging out or nothing. We had the same workout schedule, but right about a couple of nights before she left, I said, Martha, I'm starting my own publishing company. So I need you to look at my business plan before you go. Because when I was in prison, um, and the, when, when I, they transferred me to Alderson, I'm in prison and my books is being popular. They're going through all throughout the, uh, the country and other prisons. Because while I was in the hole, um, I was able to send out flyers with the young ladies because all the young ladies in the prison, they had pen pals in, in the jail from prisons all over the place. So I said, wow, all these letters is going out. I called home, I said, send me some flyers with my book on it in the order form. So they did that. When they came in, I gave them to the girls. I said, when you write to your pen pals, please include my flyers. They did that. My books was getting popular and popular and they were selling. So when I got to Alderson, people were sending me mail and manuscripts saying, show me how to do it, publish me. I got in trouble again and throw in, you know, put in a hole again because now they said I was running a publishing company. So I told them, I said, I can't, the, um, the address of the prison is in the back of the book. I can't stop people from writing me or sending me manuscripts. So again, that's what happened when I was in Alderson, West Virginia. Did you get kicked out of there at, too? Yep, Martha <laughs> looked at my business plan. She gave me her feedback and then that next day she was gone. Oh my gosh. I mean, I, I, I don't know if I have met a person who has had such like timing manifestation, divine intervention, like, so <laughs> I'm like one right after another. And it's just, um, I mean, I know it's, like obviously happened over time and there was things that happened in between and then probably mm -hmm. moments of like what the hell what yeah. am I going to do now yes. you know all of that all of that so let's I mean how remarkable your story is is just beyond words but I want to talk about like those lower moments right because it's so easy for us to you know put forth the pretty things yeah. Um, let's talk a little bit about those moments that were the hardest for you and your mindset and how you were able to push forward. The hardest moment, luckily my children, they were in a good space. Uh, my best friend kept them, uh, my best friend from, uh, the ninth grade actually. So the, my, my kids was in good hands. So, uh, I noticed a lot of women in prison, uh, a lot of them don't know where their kids are. So I was blessed as far as that was concerned. And I think if that wasn't the case, 
my journey would have been super hard, but I just, in prison, people do their time differently. Some people play cards, some people fight, some women crochet, some people exercise, everybody do their time differently. I wrote, so I spent all my time writing. My only low times actually was when I couldn't use the phone because when they said I was running a business, they took my phone privileges, my email privileges, the mail privileges. Um, so that was, those were really the only highlights. I mean, the down times of being in prison other than them days that creep up when you have PMS and them days that creep up when you like, oh my gosh, if I see another woman, if I, I just need to get out of prison. So those days come up, but most of the time, I was busy. You have to, in prison, if you don't, uh, idle mind is definitely the devil's workshop. You got to stay busy. You got to stay focused. So that's what I did. Oh my gosh. Um, what was it like to, I can't even imagine being in prison where you're supposed to be punished, quote unquote, um, but then having all of these people reach out to you and asking for your opinions and your expertise and what do I do? What was that like? It was amazing. That's again, that was the way I did my time. Wrote books and answered fair fan mail because the fan mail was coming through there because of my books was going all through the prison and the manuscripts was coming. That's why I had to start my own publishing company because some of those manuscripts were awesome. And I'll read the fan, the fan mail and mail call comes, Clark, Clark, Clark. The only person that got more mail than me was when Martha Stewart came through there. She had gray bags of mail. And that was a good thing because they, their, their attention was on her instead of me because they would monitor my mail. Here's more manuscripts, Miss Clark. What are you doing, Miss Clark? So when Martha came, they was busy with her and just left me alone because I would try to answer every fan mail letter that I received. And that's how I did my time. Oh my gosh. I mean, you were a straight up entrepreneur in prison. Like <laughs> I was an entrepreneur before prison, yeah. so I couldn't help it. That's all I knew. Oh, my goodness. Um, so I kind of want to talk about a little bit of how you were able to kind of put this business together after getting out. Like, what was that like? Because you do care, and there are definitely tons of articles and real-life stories on top of fictional stories about the transition of getting out of prison and coming back to real life. And then you turned around and became a New York Times bestselling, so like bestselling author. So what was that transition like? Well, the transition was, it actually, like I said, I did the business plan while I was in prison. So when I came and I told my family, I wanted to start a publishing company when I got home. I was actually, I was trying to get them to do it, but you know, in the real world, they, people have other jobs. They don't have time to do your dreams. So I had to wait till I get got home. So luckily my husband, as I was going into prison, he was on his way out. So when I told him I wanted to start a publishing company, he got me an office and just held on to the little office. So when I came home, I was able to step right into my office and start running my publishing company. So that was my transition. Now, however, I never did publishing before. So that was a learning process. And that was in 2007 that I started the publishing company. And trust me, it was a long journey. I had people come, employees come and steal from me. Um, the, the feds, you know, in, in the federal system, I had a restitution because of my case. So it was like, what, uh, case 16 or 17 of us. So we had a restitution of over $8 million that we all were supposed to pay. Now I'm home 
uh, have my book deals. And then I got a, my agent calls me. He says, uh, Cash Money, they're starting a publishing company and they want you to be their first fiction author. I said, Cash Money, you mean like Little Wayne and um, Slim and Baby? He said, yes. I said, well, set it up. So he set up the meeting and I um, go to the meeting with Slim. Um, and, you know, he told me the vision of the publishing company and I, I was down. I signed for it. So that was my uh, publishing deal. Mind you, but when I left the prison, I had two publishing deals, one with Hachette, one with Kensington. I was behind prison bars with two major publishing deals. And when I came home, I walked out of there with seven books. So that last one that I did, that was the first one that hit the New York Times bestsellers list. So the transition I already had the publishing company. I then got signed up with a new publisher that was Cash Money. They called it Cash Money Contents by Cash Money Records. And of course, with my um, fan base and my style of writing, that just took off. Just I think all four books that I did with them, you know, three of their books hit the New York Times bestsellers list. Oh my goodness. Okay, so how how big is this genre? Is this genre like huge? All the major companies, major publishing houses were snatching up all the authors. When you get a chance, Google Street Literature, they were snatching us all up. Now the market is, is saturated, um, but during that time, I, I was lucky to get in right at the height. Oh my. The height of the genre and the major publishing houses went crazy because we're still selling tons of books, but we were selling. It was, we, we was getting, everybody was getting contracts, six-figure contracts, writing street lit. That's amazing. That's amazing. Um, okay, so we've kind of hit on some low parts and we've kind of hit on some high parts. Anybody who is either struggling, because you, you, yourself, you yourself said that you, you grew up in the hood, correct? Okay. Um, so I know that a lot of people are obviously trying to better a situation in which, you know, there's not a whole lot of prospects and that kind of stuff, but also, you know, anybody who kind of looks around and they're, they're not happy with their surroundings or they're trying to figure out how to do or how to get out of, and just, just get into a better situation. What are your words of wisdom for them? Well, first identify and come to grips with what you need to do, what you need to change about yourself and what you need to do to take it to the next level. Then you just have to buckle down and do it. No Mm -hmm. excuses, don't blame no one. You just have to make it happen. Get out of that rut. If you have to join a, a support group or get some coaching or get a mentor, do that. But if you, you're going to stay in the same space if you don't do anything to get out of that space. Exactly. It makes sense. Yeah. No, I mean, it seems, and here's the thing. It's like, I think everybody tries to overcomplicate this process so much. Mm-hmm. Um, we're humans. It's our nature. Mm-hmm. Um, but what were, what was that thing or things that you learned about yourself that really you were just, you took a hard look and was like, all right, these are the things I need to change. This is what I'm going to do. Well, I'm still looking at those things. Um, running a business, it takes extreme discipline. Um, you have to be a people person. You have to build relationships. And that stuff never changes. You got to deal with employees. It never changes. I'm always learning. I'm always trying to be conscious of my faults and shortcomings 
so that I can better myself and, you know, contribute better to the world and deal with the people around me better. So it's, it's a process that never stops. You're always learning and you should always be trying to perfect yourself. That's how I look at it. Yes, always, always. Um, I'm a natural overachiever. I've come to terms mm-hmm. with it. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. um, so I 100% but stand behind those words. Um, to wrap up this interview, what is your advice that you would give to authors or young authors who are not only just trying to be a part of this genre, but just to get their books out there? I mean, New York Times of selling. I mean, like I know people who have who've been authors and that that's hard. Yes, that is not it, an easy hard. thing to do. It is hard. And um, I think it, what really helped me was I had the series at part one, part two, part three. So each time I dropped a book, the fan base would grow and they would anticipate it. And then the engagement with your audience. So uh, when the next book came out, everyone's waiting, everyone's waiting. And they go, and that's how New York Times uh, uh, judge is how many people buy your book at that time that it drops, how many orders are there. So for the new authors, I tell them all, master your craft, master your craft. Don't be afraid to get coaching and ask questions, but it goes back to mastering the craft. Publishing has changed, just like everything has changed. There's so much information out there. You can learn to self-publish it, do it yourself or seek a traditional publisher, but the publishing game is, has the, the, the playing field has been leveled. You can do the same thing that the major publishing companies do. You just have to build it up and master the game. Oh, I love it. Okay, where can people find your books, find you? Yes, wclarkpublishing.com, Instagram, Wahida Clark, Twitter, Wahida Clark, Facebook, Wahida Clark, everything, Clubhouse, Wahida Clark. Um, I'm everywhere. Just Google my name, Wahida Clark. The new book, The Golden Hustler, comes out July 5th. It's Golden Hustler Part 2. I'm excited about that. And that's based, that's the one that's based loosely on my story, working for the telemarketing company with the gold coins and getting locked up. But of course, I added the sex and the murder and the drugs to it. So I'm saying your real life could actually be a movie. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, you go ahead and then you can write the the whole script about it. (laughs) Oh my goodness. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us. And I absolutely loved your story and you are a natural born uh, storyteller. So if that is any, any inclination as to what your books are going to be like, when I read them now, because now you have a new fan after talking to you. you. (laughs) Enjoy. for you, start with the Golden Hustler. I start a little soft with you. Start with the Golden Hustler. The Thug series, that's super hardcore street. So start with the Golden Hustler. Okay. I literally wrote that down. <laughs> you won't oh regret it. Oh my goodness. Thank you so much for joining us. And until next time, Slay Nation, we will catch you later. Thank you for having me. Have a great one. <laughs>